May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It was a grave situation, and it came with an unexpected correspondence. Sometime in the year or around the year 60 A.D., there was this Christian missionary and preacher. His name was Paul, and he'd been placed in a Roman prison under the charge of Maestas. Maestas is rendered by uh, most English translations as, um, as treason. But in ancient Rome, treason could be anything from, you know, saying the wrong thing about the wrong person at the wrong time or just an offhanded comment that someone found to be derisive. There was no such thing as freedom of speech, no right of the people to assemble. If you um, mentioned a perceived injustice and it got back to the emperor or got back to a high-ranking official, you could be charged with maestas, imprisoned, and the penalty for being uh, found guilty of maestas was execution for Roman citizens by beheading. Paul was held in prison under the charge of Maestas, and he was being held under the charge because of his association with an illegal religion called Christianity. The argument that the Christians used was that this was a part of Judaism, that Judaism was an established legal religion, and that Christianity was an outgrowth of Judaism, therefore it should be legal, but more and more the Romans were beginning to find Christianity to be problematic, and for this reason made it an illegal religion. The emperor at the time of Paul's imprisonment was Nero, and it was almost certain that Nero was going to hear the case against Paul and make the judgment. If Nero finds that Paul is guilty, he'll be executed. Paul's a quick thinker, though. He's got a, um, a brilliant mind. And he's also got a quick tongue. He's not afraid to, um, to get into a debate and argue and, and make his case. Um, he has uh, the thought processes of an attorney. And so he's ready to, to stand up. And he feels like he has a good shot at defending himself. But as the situation goes on, the prison term lingers, he realizes more and more that his situation is growing very dim. So he did, I think, what a lot of us would do. He picked up a pen and he started writing letters. He wrote them to people that he loved and cared about. Several of these letters have found their way into the New Testament. These are the personal correspondences of a person in prison who is writing either to an individual or, in this case, to a collective of individuals, a group of Christians in a small city called Philippi, a Roman colony, northern part of Greece, what we would call today the Macedonian province. It, he's, um, the, the people who live in Philippi are very much Romans, even though they live in a Greek area. Um, think of it not unlike um, the difference between Indianapolis and Cleveland. We might have a better football team, but, um, you know, we're both from the same. You know, everyone's like, yeah, really? Like you didn't watch the football last week? Yeah, we have the same sort of uh, culture and experience. Paul's in prison in Rome. He writes this letter to people in Philippi. And I wonder what you might say if you were in his place, what I might say, I imagine we would say what he did say. <laughs> we, would, uh, we would write this letter to our friends and we would tell them, first of all, how important they are to us. Listen to what he says in the first chapter. God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, that's, a, that's a very familiar, very loving, you know, kind of a... a, a Wording, you know, that I, I, I want to be with you. I, I long for you. He also would do what you would do, and that is to calm the fears of people who love him. 
He says this, I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Think about this. Throughout the whole imperial guard, the people who are his jailers, okay, and it, what's happened to me, and, and to all the rest, listen, that my imprisonment is for Christ. I am being held in chains as a prisoner because of Jesus Christ. I'm becoming somewhat of a celebrity, Paul says. You know, I mean, this is really kind of uh, strange and providential. It's advancing the cause of the gospel, my imprisonment. You know, be hopeful, be, uh, be excited. He doesn't want to extinguish hope. Two times in the letter he says, I hope to come to see you soon. And that's exactly what you would say to your friends if you were in prison and facing execution. You would say, I think I'm going to get out of this. I think everything's going to be okay. I hope to come see you soon. But maybe you two are a realist. Paul also is a realist. And several times throughout this, uh, this letter, he says, I'm ready to die. Almost as if he's sure that this is what's going to happen. Father Lawrence picked up on one of these last week. He, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now, this is somebody who, who has to face the possibility that he's going to be executed. How will I walk up to that executioner's um, uh, stand? How will I handle myself? I hope that I'm not going to be ashamed, but I have full courage. Now, as always, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I have nothing to be afraid of. I want to go to that moment with real courage. Chapter 2, he says, Even as I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you always. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. A sacrificial offering, a drink offering, is a very Jewish um, uh, concept for him, very, uh, you know, Hebraic rich imagery. This is a, when you take a, a cup of wine and you offer it to God and you pour it out, as it were, so that it can't be consumed by humans. It's poured out as an offering, a gift to God. And Paul is saying that his blood is going to be poured out as an offering for the people in Philippi. What else, though? Might you say, having said all this, dealt with, you know, love and hope and and, you know, the, the possibilities that are there. What else might you say if you were writing to your children or grandchildren, to your nieces or nephews, your friends or relatives? What might you say to them? Here's what Paul says. Make my joy complete. Make my this is the way a bishop talks. Let me tell you how bishops talk to priests. Lawrence will bite me up on this one. Bishops do not say, Joe, I want you to do this, this, or this. They never say it that way. They always say, Joe, it would bless me if you would do whatever, whatever. whatever. That's not a request. In case you're wondering, he's not just giving you general information. They are telling you, this is what I want you to do. It would really bless me if you would make sure that, yeah, I got it. I take the order. Paul is saying this. It will bless me. It would make me happy. What? if you would preserve the unity of the church. He even backs it up with a little, uh, I don't want to say this is a guilt trip, but it sort of comes off as the way my mother talks to me. Listen to this, chapter 2, verse 1. If you have, if you have your bullets and you can look at this, um, chapter 2, verse 1, the very beginning of the epistle lesson, he has, he has led up all the, the difficulties that are, he's facing um, in chapter 1. To, you know, to live uh, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Uh, it, it, 
it's possibility we're all going to suffer for this. But if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any, if you want to offer me, I think he's saying, any encouragement, if you want to bring me any comfort, if you want to share in the participation of the Spirit or provide some affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Bless me. How? By being of, if you had a pencil, you could underline these, the same mind, having the same love. You pick up on that language. Same mind, same love. Being in full accord. This word literally means one soul. That you would be one soul. And, again, one mind. I mean, again, this is the way my mother does. Oh, Joe, if you wanted to take care of your old mom whose uh, back is hurting, and what, all right, Mom, what do you want me to do? You know, just tell me I'm going to do it. This is Paul. Make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, the same love, one soul, be of one mind. This one mind thing kind of messes with me a little bit because I hang out with clergy people on occasion. You know what happens if you get three priests in a room? You get five opinions. Um, it's constant like this, you know. And I've been in rooms with you all, too. Um, and you're no better, you know. Uh, it, you watch news media. You read newspapers, some of you. You go to films and plays and read books. Um, you have your eyes opened, you see the world, and you either see it as being totally dysfunctional and things that need to be fixed, or you see it as absolutely perfect, please don't touch anything. Uh, you're one of <laughs> somewhere in that two categories, and, and, and this is the way that you deal with things. And so get a couple of people in a room and bring up um, subjects like economics or climate change or football, or Freemasonry, or basket weaving, or corn shucking, and pretty soon you've got opinions galore, don't you? Some are really tough. And Paul says, stop it. Stop fighting with one another about silly things. Let it go. Well, frankly, Paul, it's not that easy. You see, there are educated people and there are uneducated people. And when an educated person meets an uneducated person and they begin to talk about a subject and it's clear that one person is ignorant on it, it's our job to correct them. No, it's not. <laughs> Sometimes you just let it go. This isn't an argument for, for clinging to absurdity, but rather it's letting go of an opinion for the sake of friendship. Not everybody wants to be corrected. Listen to what he says. Let each of you look out not for their own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a human being. It's called humility. And the path for unity goes through humility. It's not about, it's not about putting a premium on ignorance or even weak passivity. But it means that sometimes being humble is the only way to preserve unity. And Paul says, consider Christ. Think about the, the very example of Jesus himself. He was God. The second person of the Godhead, the incarnate being of the living God. And what does he do? He washes people's dirty feet. He hangs out with prostitutes and tax gatherers. He has in his company of disciples a terrorist, a sicari, a zealot, a traitor. These are his friends. These are the people that he spends time with. And consider his ultimate humiliation. 
being beaten by Roman soldiers, stripped completely naked, strapped to a cross, and left to die. And people who walked by, and some pitied him, for sure, and some derided him. Some thought, oh, what what did this guy do? Others spat upon him. This is the example that Christ gives. This is the path to unity in a church, that we would care for one another with the humble patience of Jesus. I think the work of the devil is just this, to be divisive, to get between people. This is, this is the way the evil works in the world. Because if people can be divided, we will do what is the worst part of our human nature. We will find our way to our tribe, and we will, we will huddle down with our tribe, and we will throw weapons, whatever we have, at those who are our enemy. Whether it's race or religion, politics or sports. I've seen people, I, I, two, three years ago, I saw two grown men, grown men, fighting outside of a football game because they were wearing two different colors of football teams. Come on! I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, go to a Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah? Go to Thanksgiving dinner and let somebody bring up the president. I don't care who's president at the time, right? You know what happens. People with whom you share DNA have their forks in a threatening position, don't they? You know? This is why there should be no alcohol at Thanksgiving, right? This is going to be, there is nothing but problems heading here. It's amazing. If you've ever traveled, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Catholics and Protestants? Really? This is what it's come to? You don't love Jesus the way that I love Jesus? I mean, this is really where we've come? There are ways to disagree with people without being disagreeable. There are ways to have contrarian opinions without being a contrarian. And it begins with humility. And humility is setting aside one's own importance for the sake of someone else. To set aside our own importance for the sake of someone else. It's not to, to think lowly of ourselves. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I like that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It is not having to be right or first or best, even if you happen to be right or first or best. It's the glue that keeps relationships together. And it is, it is critical in the life of the church. Uh, John Dixon uh, is a university professor in Australia, wrote this great little book called Humilitas. Uh, you could read it in a, in a day. It's, it's, a, it's a small book. I highly recommend it. He says this, that the noble choice, to, the humility is the noble choice to forego your status and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. The noble choice to forgo your status and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Or the short version, to hold power in the service of others. Humility is holding power in the service of others. My knowledge, your knowledge, your skill, my skill, anybody else's skill matters nothing unless it helps someone else. If it only makes us feel good about ourselves makes us feel superior to others, then it is of no good, no use at all. Dixon illustrates uh, this principle. He tells a story about Sir Edmund Hillary. 
Um, Sir Edmund Hillary um, with Tenzing Norway became the first men, of course, to, to summit uh, Mount Everest. And maybe you know that Sir Edmund Hillary um, became uh, very much a philanthropist to the people of Nepal. He went back time after time to help the people of Nepal. Um, one day he's there. He's um, up in the mountains a bit, and, uh, and uh, some people spot him. And, of course, they want to come and, and, and meet him and greet him and, and get a photo with him. And, and Sir Edmund Hillary, Sir Ed, as they called him, always happy to oblige. And so here is uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and a group of these people from Nepal who gather around. And, um, and just before they take the photo, someone says, oh, grabs an ice pick and, you know, puts it in the hand of Sir Edmund to make it look authentic and everything, you know. And just then before they were about to take the, the, the picture, Along comes these traveling explorers, these tourists who are climbing mountains in the Himalayas. And one of them sees Sir Ed and doesn't know who it is. And he stops the photo and says, no, no, no. Here's how you hold an ice pick. And he turns it a little bit. Sir Edmund Hillary. He looks at him, Sir Ed does, and he smiles. And you know what he says? He says, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And the fellow filled with his own sense of self-importance, <laughs> walks off and heads off to continue his journey. Let me ask you a question. This is sort of a, a twist on Jesus' question. Which one of those two people do you wish you had been? The one who corrected the world's most famous explorer or the one who need not tell who he was but simply thank the man for his kindness? St. Paul says, go and be that person. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.